Unspoken Issues. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Unspoken Issues, Unspoken Epics. This time revolving around a character that, oh, I, I mean, I'll gladly say I'm, I'm been kind of ignorant about. I mean, I, unfortunately, I'll own up to it. But this character's been around since the 90s, and that's what we're here to talk about. Uh, and uh, that character is Anarchy. So we've got a few stories we're going to be talking about this evening that revolve around that character. And of course, I'm not alone. By all means, Dean Compton is right there. Dean, are you ready to talk some... A Wait a second. Why am I even asking this question? <laughs> are you even ready to talk Anarchy, sir? I already spend about 37% of my life discussing Anarchy and Anarchism <laughs> in its various forms. So absolutely, I'm very ready. Uh, readers at the Unspoken Decade.com, you know, I've mentioned this in several, uh, several of my articles and also over at uh, LongboxGraveyard.com. Uh, that, you know, I am an unabashed libertarian socialist. I'm an anarchist. I would uh, lean towards anarcho-syndicalism. So we're going to, it's going to be really weird. We're going to get some like great comic book, superhero, DC universe action, you know, everywhere, everything from, you know, Kirby's creation, the demon to Kirby's creation, dark side. And uh, we're also probably going to learn a lot more about the Spanish civil war than anyone would have ever thought in regard to a comic <laughs> book podcast. And, and I'm happy to fill this role. It's very interesting to, uh, you know, you said something, you're like, oh, I've been very ignorant all my life about anarchy. Well, buddy, you and a lot of other people in regard to what this actually means as a political philosophy. It's very interesting to see it personified here. And I'm going to have a ball talking to you all about some of this. But uh, feel free to cut me off if I get high winded or if, uh, you know, I use a fire truck ladder to get up on a high horse. <laughs> you know, there was one point where Dean come to me and he said, hey, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to like produce while I'm down here at Dragon Con. You remember that, Dean? You remember that at all? Yeah, yeah, you did it a couple of years. You did a great job. You did a oh, great I job. appreciate Everybody. that. <laughs> that's not what I came. That's oh, not what well, I'm looking for. You know what? You what? deserve the praise. But yeah, uh, it was a the, great the time. story. The story is when when you ran into somebody you were interviewing. This was it was the first time I had ever heard of something called a red card. And do you is yeah. that okay? All right. So you're like talking to this guy, and you guys like hit it off immediately because he mentions something about it, and you both are like carrying these red cards. Have no idea what that is yeah, until so, uh, I did my research on the internet. But anyway, right, right, right. Yeah, you know, red card is a it's the card that members of the industrial workers of the world carry. Uh, we're known as wobblies. I am a red card member. I uh, I keep my dues up to date. Uh, my union is not recognized where I currently work, but I am still. A member of it and uh it is an anarcho-syndicalist union in practice uh they don't like as a as a body you don't like to label yourself so much but in practice it is governed by a direct democracy and uh it actually with all the talk about starbucks unionization recently the iww started trying to unionize starbucks in approximately 2001 2002. Oh, really so wow. like this is something you know i mean and this doesn't get done without those efforts 20 years ago the iww was tremendously powerful in the early 1900s uh, Big Bill Haywood was associated with it. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot, of, uh, I think uh, Emma Goldberg uh, and uh, Alexander Berkman, some, uh, you know, very well-known anarchist theorists, they were associated with it. But it was a very good union, very direct action oriented. That's a term you're going to hear a lot here today, too. But yeah, I was a red card member. He was, you know, he carried a red card. He had his red card. And we're both wobbly. So you would instantly talk about it because it's a, it's a special bond. It's a, That's you know, pretty cool. Anarchists yeah, yeah. have been like persecuted 
in historically. So you, when you run into one and you know, when you're open about it like that, and I'm unabashedly open for somebody who is like, is involved in uh, mainstream society for lack of a better word in regard sure. to these political beliefs. Um, and you run into somebody, you have that special bond instantly. So yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that. Like instantly, well, <laughs> you know, me and that guy were like, Hey, let's go to war because we might. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely want to bring on Derry Waite. Derry, you've been sitting there quiet, man. You're ready to talk some anarchy, buddy. I'm ready to listen. I'll say okay. that. Uh, I, I never read these books before. I had no experience with the character. These issues, these issues were a trip. Uh, they really were, and uh, I fell down quite the rabbit hole of the philosophy that inspired Alan Grant, the writer, to come up with this guy. And um, I have no idea what the character stands for at this point. So I'm hoping <laughs> that a little light can be shed on that, if nothing else. <laughs> so Lonnie Machen is anarchy. He's a very young man, 15 years old. And uh, he is a super genius kid. And he has... Uh, Basically, all of the advantages that somebody of, uh, let's say, an upper middle class upbringing would have in addition to be a super genius. His parents are together. He's very well taken care of. He's uh, The system is working for him. And he has a uh, pen pal at one point named uh, Xerxes, who is in an African uh, nation. And one day they're not pen pals anymore. And later on, he learns that, you know, due to political upheaval in that nation between a uh, what we can assume is United States uh, right-wing authoritarian government, uh, backed government, and a Marxist cruel uprising. His family has been uprooted. His dad's gone, probably dead. His mom is, you know, sick. He's been put out on the street, probably going to be conscripted into some kind of child army if he doesn't just die. And Lonnie is aghast at this, as everyone should be. But, like, when he says, hey, what are we going to do about it? His dad is pretty much like, nothing. We're not going to do anything about it. Right. What can we do? It's another country. A lot of people, when we talk about anarchism, when they were young, they thought countries were stupid. And Lonnie was no different. But the difference is, is when he went to do, start doing research on this, he dove into the political writings of prominent anarchist thinkers like Proudhon, Mikhail Bakunin, Peter Kropotkin, Nestor Makhno, Emma Goldman, Von Train Declare, Alexander Berkman, etc. And that led him to, you know, come to the belief, much like me, that all authoritarian hierarchies have to be dismantled. And that includes the state, that includes religious hierarchies, that includes anything that allows people to have dominion over uh, another person without a, an incredible burden of proof. Like, yeah, if a four-year-old's going to run into the street, you obviously have the authority to keep the four-year-olds from running into the street for their own safety. They can't really make decisions. On the other hand, we should not allow ourselves to be so imprisoned by things like class, by things like uh, borders. These are things that we've invented, and they can be uninvented and probably should to increase the scope of human freedom. Lonnie came to believe that, but he lives in the DC universe. So if there's a problem in the DC universe, like if you're an orphan from another planet or gangsters kill your, your family or like a lightning strikes you, you and some some chemicals, you probably have to put on a costume and do something about it. Right. And so he does. He just, he becomes uh, anarchy. He considers himself the voice of the people. He creates, uh, he's a super genius. He's able to create his own weapons. He can manipulate uh, computer systems so that he is endlessly financed. But he essentially is uh, becomes a Batman foil because he wants to undo the entire system because all of the things that are bad about Gotham's corruption, Gotham's malfeasance, those are symptoms. The, the system is the disease. Batman 
digs the system, which is stupid. The system did nothing but fail him growing up. I mean, right. I guess he's rich, but like, you know, his parents got murdered and stuff. But like, he's very into order. He was his, uh, I guess his PTSD wants him to create order and he can't handle that. And in my opinion, this is one of those times where, you know, Batman's just unequivocally wrong. There's no doubt that like Two-Face and the Joker, the Riddler, you know, they're murderers and they're terrible. But Anarchy's like, listen, your system's bad. And if it's so great, why are there so many homeless people? Right. If it's so great, why is there so much corruption? If it's so great, why do we produce enough food to eat for everybody to eat? That's a statistical fact. But like so many people die of hunger. Why is it that like we why why do we constantly sell arms to each other? Your system's so great. Why do all these terrible things keep happening? And Batman can't solve that with a well-placed battering or a fist. That's right. So the character of Anarchy, for those of you who don't have the issue sitting in front of you, he looks like the character of V from V for Vendetta. And he was created not too long after the original comic book series finished its run in America. That character is an anarchist. That character is exactly what Dean is describing. Alan Moore probably agrees with Dean on 99% of this stuff. But um, as the character of Anarchy evolves and as Alan Grant a British writer, as his opinion on politics evolves, the character becomes more of an objectivist, which is yeah. more of a right-wing philosophy, which is um, very pronounced with Steve Ditko and The Question and Mr. A, and then looping this back to Alan Moore, most famously with Rorschach. So I just became very confused, but it was very interesting because I love seeing a writer who's who's good at this. Again, we should give a little background. Alan Grant is a, was a prominent Batman writer. I mean, he created Ratcatcher, The Ventriloquist. He created a wealth of characters in the late 80s and early 90s. Like this was this was a guy who was doing the work very well. Anarchy. And one been, of the best Judge Dredd guys of all time, too. Yeah. Right. And yeah, he did right. Lobo and the Demon. Like he had his fingers over a lot of uh yeah. not necessarily mature readers' comics, but definitely stuff on that edge. Yeah, he this was not like he showed up at DC, he did one character and he left. Like he his presence is still felt. Like he created a Mr. Zaz. I feel like he's yeah. been in more oh, adaptations yeah. than anyone but the Joker. Like he, he was good at this. He was really good at this. But this, this character is clearly what Grant Morrison would call a fiction suit, where it's like he right. gets to espouse what the writer believes, and it was very interesting to see that evolve, really to two different ends of the spectrum that ultimately have more overlap than you'd think. So I, I really enjoyed this as one novel that Batman just happened to show up in. Uh, but again, like I said, just a roller coaster for me. Yeah. yeah, and he does. He does go more towards, you know, what uh, sadly we would call right wing anarchism, which in in the in anarchist schools of thought, just, to, you know, that's probably going to be a lot of my role here. That's very controversial. Nobody like 98 percent of anarchists do not think that objectivism is anarchist, because one of the things that you have to take care of is people's needs have to be met. And it doesn't really matter in regard to how important yourself is. Europe, yourself is important. The collective is important. Sometimes they will be oppositional, but neither one is really more important than the other. You have to be yourself within that collective so that the best good uh, you know, comes to both because ultimately what's best for everybody tends to be what's best for individuals, objectivists, right-wing anarchists, anarcho-capitalists. And I would call Batman an anarcho-fascist and have done so before uh, several times. Uh, uh, they think that like the individual thing is very, very important. This is not to be confused with individual anarchism, its own thing. We won't get into that. But they think that like society really exists so that individuals can like super triumph and like rich people deserve what 
what they get, et cetera. You can like, you know, they basically want, you know, they want capitalism without a state. Mm -hmm. And as much as I detest the state, the state is one of the only apparatuses that can deal with unfettered capitalism, which is worse. And it's weird, you know, my headcanon anarchy stays a lefty. You can extrapolate that stuff as it goes on, but it is important for me to note that the, uh, that the ideals and the ideology that he espouses as Grant changes his own personal ideology. They're, they're not necessarily considered anarchism within most schools of anarchist thought. Okay. Were you a, a young kid uh, picking these issues up and going, holy shit, look at this? Or were, was this something you found later in life and were like, okay, well, this is a this is a neat character. Tell me about it. Well, you know, actually, I bought the uh, Anarchy miniseries uh, off the rack. I think it came out in uh, what, 98. Um, and that was when I'd first gone to college. I was, when I was a young man, as funny as this is, when I was a young man, I was like highly conservative. I was like super, super right wing. And like, I became a right wing libertarian when I was very young. I was like a, a very religious uh, Christian fundamentalist right winger. Like I was like, we should outlaw premarital sex. Like what the fuck, dude? Like, is the, how are you going to enforce Why? And how are you going to enforce it? <laughs> These are things I thought it's probably because I wasn't getting laid. Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, like I'm 14 years old. I'm not, I'm not, nobody's, nobody's wants to smooch on old Dean. Then nobody should smooch. That's probably what it was. Probably some of that involved. But uh, around 16 or 17, I became like a, a right wing libertarian, which is, not too far from the neotech objectivist uh, uh, stuff on the political spectrum. And uh, that's when I picked up the Anarchy uh, miniseries. But I was always like a little different. Like, you know, I I grew up, I grew up very working class. So that would temper some of my stuff. Like even then I thought there should be like nationalized healthcare and shit. And then in, uh, in 99 or 2000, when I went to I went to UACCB, I took sociology, and, like, that was the first time I'd ever actually read Marx and not just, like, heard about what Marx said. And Marx's conflict theory, which is one of the big three, like, theories of sociology, which is basically there are haves and there are have-nots, and the have-nots have to fight the haves for everything the have-nots can get. You know, and the haves will always try and keep as much as they can from the have-nots. Well, growing up poor, working class, I was like, well, God damn it, that's it. Like, that's where it is. And from there, I began to become a left-wing anarchist. And then as a left-wing anarchist, it's very interesting to go back and read these issues because as much as uh, superheroes get a lot of flag for being a very right-wing ideology, a very right-wing inspired, and I don't necessarily disagree, it's important to remember that most of these superheroes were invented by decidedly anti-fascist Jewish kids. A lot of the tenets of anti-fascism can actually be found here. Voluntary association, Wolverine can be in as many groups as he wants and can leave one whenever he wants. He can be as many at the same time as he can be. Mutual aid, these groups help each other, etc. So I think that, you know, do it yourself ethos. You take care of things yourself. Certainly there winds up with fascistic overtones. I'm not an idiot. But I also do think that we focus too much on those as opposed to the left-wing uh, parts of superheroes. And that's why I got into this later when I got more into this politics. I looked back and I was like, wow, it's very interesting that this got out at all. I hate when people say that the superhero is a fundamentally fascist concept. I hate it. I like it's, it's I, not I, true. No, I, I don't think it is it's true if you at want all. it to be. It is if you want it to be. I'm a huge fan of the golden age Superman. And if you want a more socially conscious man of the people character who again started the entire genre, you go back and you read the first couple of years of Superman stories before World War II starts yeah. by Jerry Siegel, and you are gonna find this. Again, Morrison called him a socialist super defender, a, a, a yeah. fireman in a cape. Like he's beating up scabs. I, yeah, 
Yeah, like you know, just he's going to like Central America and overthrowing banana republics that are obviously propped up by the United States. Like it, yeah. it's wild. It's wild. Then later yeah. on, like the image we have, Superman with the big flag, which you see later. But early on, like you're saying, Derry, that motherfucker was a muckraker. He really, he really was. Like Golden Age Superman. I always, I always say, uh, I the story I wish we had was Golden Age Superman being around for Lex being president. Because whereas we had all power. Powerful Superman kind of just moping. Golden Age Superman would have just thrown him into the Potomac. Right. Like, yeah, yeah that's exactly what he would have done. You know, Captain yeah. America would have just gone and punched him in the face. Oh, like, yeah. Cap would have quit yeah. and formed yeah, like, the what, resistance. What, what are we messing around with? Like, what are you talking about? Because yeah. you look at these guys. What did Jack Kirby say? He goes, I didn't know anything much of anything about politics, except that if I heard that somebody liked Hitler, I'd go beat the crap out of him. Right. And, that's, and at the end of the day, that's sort of what anarchism is at its, you know, at its Face is like you just hate anybody who's going to take away that much freedom, and that's a very left wing ideology. And all these guys who created this stuff are very left wing. That's why they were ripped off by the very right wing corporatists that took all this stuff from them. There you go. There you go. Well, soapbox. <laughs> Keep it there. I'm sure you'll need it here in a few. Um, <laughs> the, I don't know if y'all will, but like, yeah, you know, I'm definitely going to step back on it. Let's start with Robin Annual number one. This hits shelves July of 1992. Derry, do your best to kind of give me an idea of what happened in here. We are our, our creative team, Alan Grant writing this, uh, Tom Lyles penciling, I believe. At least that's what they have at list here on Mike's Amazing World of Comics. I remember him from some Spider-Man comics, if I remember right. That synopsis is coming up, but first let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M network for that free 30-day trial. Yeah, so this is from the period of time where uh, Tim Drake... Is Robin is the third Robin. He has his own book. He's having his own adventures. You know, DC was selling you Batman. He doesn't have his own book. Yet. He's still oh, in he a doesn't. series of miniseries stage. Oh, he has an annual, really? no ongoing. Yeah, okay. I don't mean to be an asshole and correct you. No, I, I, no, I, no, no, no. I am not a DC expert, so you yeah. you step in when you need to. I, yeah. I have no idea what we're talking about half the time with this stuff. Yeah, this came out, uh, Robin uh, 3, the miniseries Robin with the lenticular covers. Okay. It would come out a couple months after this, yeah. So it's weird to me that he got an annual with no ongoing. Well, it's a crossover, right? It's right, like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the well, Eclipse well, Show. It it's the same like thing. Like thirty parts. Like it's like, hey, we don't have enough here for this Eclipse Show. Yeah. Let's get a Robin annual going. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this annual, it's pretty standard fare. Uh, Anarchy has a plot, and Robin, who again is also 15 years old, uh, needs to stop him. And uh, I gotta be honest with you, a lot happens, but not a lot stuck with me. <laughs> like, I, I uh, D Dean alluded to this before, but I, I am not a huge Tim Drake fan. Um, actually, something that Dean had told me that I didn't realize was that uh, Alan Grant, who again, I don't know if I'm the only picture uh, person picturing Sam Neill from Jurassic Park when I say Alan Grant out loud but the writer Alan Grant Batman's Alan Grant could not look less like that but uh apparently um you can Alan Grant yeah, exactly. Apparently, Anarchy was being pitched as a potential third Robin because this is in the period of time where uh, you know Jason Todd 
got voted to death or whatever, and uh, uh, Tim wasn't quite established. And I, I'm, I'm flipping through this issue again, and all I can think of is how great would it have been to begin the 90s with Lonnie, with Anarchy, as Robin? Because wow. then, to Dean's point, the conflict with Batman would have been amazing. Like, Tim, if you like him, that's fine. I'm not saying it's bad. And I do. Just- I'm a Tim Drake fan. Awesome. Most of my friends are. I just, yeah. I don't know. It never, it never clicked with me. And one of the big things with, with this was like, there's just no conflict there. It's like, right. you know, he's a very even killed character. But if you'd put anarchy, if you'd put an anarchist, you'd kind of, you'd have the Damien relationship from the, the 2010s like 30 years earlier and you'd have this idea of like, well, this is a Robin who doesn't believe in your mission, but he believes in you. Can you right. win him over? So I, I'm flipping through these pages and I'm thinking, Oh man, I wish they had let Grant just make him Robin. Like that would have been a great story of like, why are we fixing this system? If this system is broken. And I just feel like that would have helped Robin become a little bit more interesting in the nineties. Cause again, I, I should have picked this up on the stands, but I was just like, I saw Robin, I saw Batman, my, my brain turned off. I just wasn't interested. Yeah. It's kind of like, if you look at the back of the uh, Batman anarchy trade paperback, which has most of the issues in the, that we're talking about today, not the uh, Eclipso annual, but like it says, the quest for justice in Gotham city is no longer a fight between good and evil. It is now a war over who's right and who's wrong. Batman, Anarchy, two dedicated idealists, two champions for very different ideas. If Anarchy wins, what will Gotham stand to gain? If Batman wins, what will Gotham lose? Because that's the real thing. It's like you're saying, Derry, there's a real conflict there. And for me, Anarchy's right. Like, Anarchy is fundamentally correct. Other people will say Batman is, but there's something to argue about because there's something to like about both these guys. It would have been a better Robin. That's what all that was for. I was back in your play. You know, I think it's interesting, too, because it's also a matter of scale. Like, Batman is 25, 30 years old. He's old money. He was trained by the best people in the world. He's very committed to a very specific goal, which is, you know, prevent random acts of violence from ruining a person's life like it ruined him. And that has unfolded in the way of him deciding to have a war on crime in the largest city in the country. And that's fine. But to your point, it's like Batman doesn't really work outside of Gotham unless he has to save Superman or something else. But anarchy is younger anarchy. He's in high school. He's brilliant. He believes in the internet. Again, this is the early nineties. The internet was not really a thing back then. News groups, baby. Yeah. 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 But he's like constantly. No, no, he's on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think it's funny because Anarchy's like your typical teenager. And he's like, he's like, no, man, I figured out money and technology and everything else. You guys just weren't trying hard enough. I'm going to fix the entire world. And it's when those two sets of expectations crunch into each other that Batman is almost saying like, well, dude, you're not wrong, but you are not going to fix the entire world alone. And you're hurting people in the small scale. So again, it it produces this very interesting story because to your point, Anarchy passes the antagonist test, which is you can almost see where he's coming from. And I feel like most people don't even get that far, but Anarchy checks that box. Right. Another thing that he can do, like if he was Robin and knew that Batman was Bruce Wayne, is, you know, yes, Batman focuses a lot on, you know, specific acts of violence, street crime, uh, insane clowns that aren't a posse. Um, <laughs> but, like, he gives a bunch of money as Bruce Wayne to various 
charities and various causes, and that's great. And he thinks that's doing something. And Anarchy would be like, if that's helping, why is all this shit the same? Why do you have a mugger to beat up every night? You give all this money. Where's this money going? What's happening with this money? Because there's a whole like NGO industrial complex that it's probably getting sucked up into. Listen, I'm not saying that that it's fictional money too, but in the real world, when billionaires just say, I'm going to throw money at something to solve the problem, it's nice when they do, but the mechanisms through which they do it are usually ineffective and the money gets sucked up. It would be better of them to just give a billion dollars in cash straight to people, honestly, you know? And I think that he would say that. He's like, if all this stuff you're doing on the street isn't helping, and all this stuff you're doing as Bruce Wayne isn't helping, what the fuck are you doing, old man? Right. And I don't, you could argue he's not wrong. I mean, you can really, you know, uh, I, 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 again, I don't think Batman's evil or necessarily wrong, but he's on the, he's, he's not doing it right. Or these problems would dissipate. Also it's Gotham city. It's fake. So I get that too. Nobody, nobody comment like, well, it's fake, man. Toothpaste yeah. is going to come back. I know that, but we're he talking about this comic book podcast to tell us it's fake. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me anarchy's fake because if he was real, he'd fucking be me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to ask because I was going through the annual here and I know that the first appearance of Anarchy, I believe, was 1989. I, I, 1989, I can't remember. That's correct. Okay. It's an issue of, uh, can't remember what issue of Detective Comics. I want to say, but it was an issue of Detective Comics. I, I have it, believe it or not. So the design of Anarchy in this book, it, and, and, and tell me, again, not familiar with the character, but he has this like huge neck. So <laughs> I, okay, is, are we, to, we're obviously not to assume that that is the way this guy is built, obviously, but they do not take his mask off in here, I don't believe. And at least in the this annual, I know we get it no, later no, on. But you've seen him without it prior to the annual. He's made appearances. Like he does that so that, like, you think he's, you don't know he's a kid. So I assume that he has like this huge, like, large apparatus that goes over his head. It's a comic book costume. All right. All right. I don't mean to. I don't mean to be an asshole, nope. but like, no, I'm fine with it. I just, I just think it's skated neck, and it fools people into thinking he's an adult. Not Batman, the world's greatest detective, but other <laughs> people get fooled into thinking he's an adult. It's camouflage for him. It's probably not actually applicable with any real world technology. <laughs> like Batman, but we let have... Iron Man have the suit. That's fine. You know, so it, right. in, in the DC universe, it's Booster Gold and the Rocket Reds. I'm gonna give Anarchy the giraffe neck. I'm gonna let him have it. Of course, <laughs> I, he's a favorite of mine, so. I'll probably let him have it. All right. Well, I noticed some of the pictures you were posting and, uh, you know, where, where he's kind of like sitting there and like some smoke is going around his elongated neck. And I'm like, uh, certainly this is a stylistic choice in regards to the artist, which no, I don't think so. I mean, it is else. too, because like, like Derek said, this is a tribute to me for Vendetta who had that big, you know, that big look, Okay. you know, but then they explained it away as well because yeah, how could this like five, four, 14 year old be in here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I think we mentioned a few times, but this was a crossover uh, as part of the Eclipso story. And Eclipso is a, I don't know, he's one of these vague DC characters who's been who's fought a hundred different people over <laughs> decades, and I couldn't tell you what he wants or why he wants it, but he's there and he's got some. He's like the you. Spectre before the Spectre. Ah, see, there we go. Yeah, um, I mean, okay. He could have changed out, but when I was last keeping up with DC Universe, that's basically what Eclipso was. He's yeah. the, he's the god of vengeance at this point because he is like the vengeance of God. He was too evil to be the wrath of God. So you blew that one, Jehovah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but but it is interesting to put these characters into uh, a crossover like that because you know the gimmick of the crossover is well if you're really angry about something there's now a god on earth who's going to give you power to do something about it and i i did think that was interesting because you know tim drake and anarchy lonnie they are opposites even though they run in the same circles and they're of similar age and and again they're they're both brilliant i mean tim drake became robin because he he cracked the secret identity very easily like right. these guys are are if not equals, they're good foils for each other. Um, they're they're really good antagonists. But um, one of the things I liked here is is once you have the black diamond MacGuffin in play, which is how uh, Eclipso manifests on Earth, you kind of get this idea of them saying, well, you know, we should use empathy. It's like, oh, no, we should free everyone from this. And it's like, okay, but if you give someone the power to deal with their problems, they're going to become violent. And it was kind of interesting to see that play out because to, to Dean's point, it's like, well, it's the DC universe where so everything gets this physical manifestation mm-hmm. right i thought i thought it was a good a, a good crossover for eclipso but it but it does kind of hint about what is to come which is alan moore once said that his comic promethea was a superhero comic that ended up as a philosophy lecture anarchy is the same way anarchy is absolutely a superhero comic but it it often becomes a sociological lecture, which is fine because it's incredibly informative, but it's different because most comics don't do that. And this kind of hints at that where it's like, oh yeah, Anarchy is doing a lot of monologuing. So it was, it was just interesting because Tim is swinging around trying to save people and save his friends. And there's a, a B plot with a bunch of kids going to the fair. Yeah, exactly. Basketball and like just shooting, like he's in a Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, McDonald's commercial circa 1991. (laughs) Heck yeah, yeah! It's a it's a product of its time. It, it really is. But um, but no, it's 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 good for what it is, which is like the two characters have to interact in the Eclipso crossover. They do it very well, and you both see what they would do with uh, phenomenal cosmic power. So I enjoyed it. And yeah, you mentioned before Tom Lyle. Uh, no disrespect meant to Norm Brayfogle, who drew most of this stuff, but I'm, I'm a huge Tom Lyle fan. So I, as soon as I realized this was him, I hunted it down, and this this was comfort food to start me off on the Anarchy journey. The Eclipso crossover was just starting when, like, I first got into comic books. I actually remember seeing this issue on the uh, shelves the first time I went to comic book store i didn't buy it you know it's it's like 295 which like yeah it might have been like a hundred bucks to be yeah dude 92 you know i mean like i don't know about that you get a couple (laughs) dollars 25 ones over here cheap as fuck i enjoyed it i think it was a really cool little part of the eclipso crossover but if, if if this didn't happen the crossover wouldn't have suffered none of these characters would have suffered there's almost no consequence in it which is fine mostly what's funny is just tim drake is just an asshole like yeah. he is just like a piece of shit like the whole time and i like tim drake but i think the thing is i think the thing that works is when he's a smarty pants know-it-all shoving it in people's faces when they're adults it's cool because like i was 14 as the same age as him i'm like yeah, yeah you tell them like i was part <laughs> of a team that beat the teachers in the quiz bowl that meant i was smarter than them like tim drake was smarter than all those guys right nice. not what it meant but it did, you know, but like I got off on that kind of thing at the time. But when you look at him, like trying to chastise like anarchy for being a kid, hey, fuck you, bro, you're a kid. Yeah. Like, you, you, like, you can't like, like, that's weird to me that like, like, like that they would uh, categorize it like that. Although Robin does uh, usually have a holier than thou uh, kind of attitude. Like I said, it works more when he's around adults, but much better than when he's around kids. This is, this is one of the uh, things where like anarchy in a lot of ways, he's too smart for his own good. He's always trying, and this is kind of a theme throughout the issues we read. He's like, listen, I'll somehow use this system against itself, or I'll use something that's bad for a good purpose and it will work. 
there are a lot of anarchists that think that to an extent, like, and sometimes that's true. Like, you know, some anarchists are like, uh, I have a couple of Christian anarchist pals who won't do any violence, but most anarchists are like violence is acceptable in certain situations. Usually when you're attacked, it's the only thing, you know, that can, uh, you know, that can work. But he constantly like thinks that like somehow he will outsmart like the black diamond. He will out later on. He'll try and outsmart like, the demon and dark side and powers of hell. And that shows that like, he is very inexperienced, not just as an anarchist, but also as a young man, as a young man, you would think that you would like, you could outsmart a lot more of those things than you can. I like, I, so I thought that was neat, you know, where he's like, Oh, I'll get myself possessed, but then I'll just have a solar flare go off. Cause that's how you get rid of a clip. So that's not always going to work. How are you going to outsmart this God Lonnie? He won't stop trying bless his heart. But I do right. like how that's a really big glimpse into like what will be, you know, uh, sort of an overarching theme of the character in that, like, in our world, he's challenging things that can be challenged because, like, if you don't think that God exists or, you know, Allah exists or whatever, they're not going to send their avatar to, like, slice you open with the sword of judgment. This is the DC fucking universe, baby. You don't think demons exist? Too bad. <laughs> you don't think that like dark side exists too bad. You don't think that Eclipso can overcome your, you know, intellect, no matter how smart you are too bad. And right. I think that's interesting to see these philosophies tested. Uh, I think very real world and very, uh, very important and smart real world philosophies tested in a fantastical world. And I think this Robin Daniels is the first time where we kind of see that. And we see Lonnie start to think that he will outsmart that kind of uh, those fantastical characters and elements of the DC universe. All right. So yeah, we're fast forwarding to 1995, where we are going to be looking at Batman Chronicles number one. So this hits the shelves May 30th, 1995. Okay, so this is like right at the end. And these issues that we're about to cover actually happen really close to each other. Because the next issue I think we're going to cover, we're going to talk about the Shadow of the Bat issues. And those went on sale May 16th of 95. Uh, that was issue 40. And then I think maybe it was a month later. I didn't write it down here. But yeah, I think it was June. Here we go. All right, Anarchy, Tomorrow Belongs to Us. All right. Alan Grant, the writer, Stuart Johnson, penciling, Cam Smith, inking, Phil Allen on the colors and Bill Oakley lettering here. And this is a very, very, like I said, short paragraph here. A young Lonnie Machen sits in juvie, surrounded by young listeners as he explains how power corrupts and our societal system only benefits a small minority. Meanwhile, Anarchy is going about the town, gathering intel on a wealthy politician. We soon find out that Lonnie is broadcasting himself as a hologram, as he's going about Gotham here, uh, or wherever he's at, uh, and he switched the billboard slogan for the politician he was looking into to read, Power Corrupts, Don't Vote. And that's pretty much where we end the story. Uh, I mean, there is definitely some good philosophy discussion that happens in this book. Uh, as, you know, Lonnie's just kind of sitting around uh, with his friends in juvie, and he's kind of explaining, hey, you know, this is the way things should be, and this is the way things are. Uh, one of the things that I picked up on here, and then I'm going to turn it loose to you guys, uh, because I, I feel like I had a couple of things that I grabbed from this small story that we got. Uh, we talked about the dynamic between Batman's actions slash beliefs and Anarchy's actions slash beliefs. Batman's misguided as he fights the result of crime, but not the causes. 
Batman's laser focused on taking care of criminals after they've done the deed. I think it's very similar to the current way our police forces are set up. And it's it's interesting when you hear people be like, oh, defund the police is bad. We should get more cops. But if there's more crime, they'll just pay for more cops. But didn't more, co- didn't more cops, why didn't it fix more crime last time? We The issue of crime is incredibly simple. Like, it almost all comes back down to poverty. You'll never eliminate all crime, you know, certain crimes of passion, sadly, et cetera. Like, you, I'm not saying that somebody who, like, in a, in a fit of rage murders their best friend is just, oh, well, who cares? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there's not a lot that you can do about that as a society. On the other hand, a lot of addiction issues, a lot of uh, petty theft issues, a lot of what we consider, like, property crime, vandalism, et cetera. If you created a social safety net that didn't have Poverty, you would you would eradicate like ninety five percent of those crimes, and those crimes make up a ton. And, and we can put crimes in like quotes for a lot of this stuff. Like most people in the federal prison system are in there for some kind of drug crime, a nonviolent drug crime, whether right. it's possessing a large amount or selling it. Is that a crime? Well, it it makes a lot of people a lot of money. Batman goes and beats up people who are mugging ladies and taking their purses. No one should mug people and take purses, but in order to keep that from happening, you can't just spend a bunch of money on prison. You can't build a prison industrial complex like we have. We have to attack the symptoms. What what situation in life drove this guy to do that? Because as a general rule, people like to do the right thing. And uh, so I think that's what uh, he was talking about. And it's really funny that he puts that uh, power corrupts don't vote up. Yeah. One of the oldest anarchist-like things when it comes to elections, because most anarchists boycott most elections because it's participating in a uh, – it's a state-ran scam to most of us, most of the time. You're going to choose between two rich guys. We, we, I think things are changing now because of the radical ascent into uh, fascism by one of our parties. I won't say which, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. I think that may be changing now to where like, you morally probably should go one way. But like as a general rule, it's a, you know, it's a bureaucratic rich guy versus a bureaucratic rich guy. Sometimes it's a lady. Sometimes they're of a different minority. But class is always a, almost always a unifying factor. So you don't vote. And the one of the things you used to say is like, you know, you should vote for nobody. You know why? Because nobody will solve your problem. Nobody cares about you. Nobody is going to take care of your needs. Nobody will keep rich people from encroaching more onto your society. So you should vote for nobody. That's, you know, I think it's a very fair point. This is a really fun little issue to me. Batman Chronicles, a uh, a fifth week book, I believe it was quarterly because there was a week where there was, this is when Batman came out once a week. You had Detective, Shadow, Batman, and uh, Legends of the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And so this would fill in the fifth week, a big quarterly book. Really good way to get anarchy over, in my opinion. Really cool to see him like work with the, the homeless guy in the issue, Legs, as he'll Legs. turn out to be called. Um, and uh, I like uh, I like him trying to reach out to the kids because that's part of uh, it's part of the political process as you try and talk to people about this stuff. Probably won't see significant change in your lifetime, but I know from just talking to you two and talking to other friends of mine, people will never think the same thing about this after they have like three conversations with me. The whether you agree or disagree, you're going to think about something. Definitely, the driving force behind Anarchy as a character is to get at least that bit of conversation going. Yeah, know? it was actually made to like proselytize for it but sadly the left-wing anarchist group alan grant was in like demonized him for it for for like holier than thou reasons it was a really bad move on their part i believe he was part oh. of the british anarchist party at the time and you know they were like oh you're perverting the ideas and giving it to a corporation that's not what he was doing at all but those people probably never read a comic book and sadly believe it or not anarchists aren't perfect and they commit human errors and i believe this was uh, a litany of them in regard to their treatment of alan grant and that's a huge reason why he goes objectivist and why anarchy does. 
Derry, what do you think, man? This this short story comes out here. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I love the gimmick. I, I love any any story that's got a little twist in the middle, and the idea that anarchy is committing this uh, act of, of political, I don't know, subterfuge for lack of a better word, but he's also preaching to the people in juvie. Again, kids we've put in prison for presumably non nonviolent crimes. I, I don't know right. all the details here. And then the reveal at the end, because it's Gotham, that's a holographic projector and i just thought that was so great because that really distinguishes anarchy as a character it's like well what's the victory here it's like well i'm gonna ruin this politician's bad day no that's that's just like why he gets up in the morning his goal is to is to make these kids think along different lines and that's exactly exactly what dean is saying which is this character's point isn't to bring down Batman or to murder the Robin or to do any of that nonsense. It's to make you, the reader, look at this a different way. That's the point. It's it's a little over the top at times, but that's the point. Just like with V for Vendetta, like you are going through the same arc as Evie is. And I thought that this was a great exploration of that because it's not violent. No one gets punched. Uh, the Joker doesn't murder a bunch of babies. Like it's it's an ideological not story. Even not, no, even no, one, not even one. Not even one. Not even a single the one. Joker yeah, I thought it was a great use of eight pages. This is what I was saying before. Like, Alan Grant is not one of these guys who just showed up, said a bunch of nonsense, and disappeared. He's good at this. He's good at comics. Yeah. And I thought this was a really good example of whether or not you agree with this character, you at least get to see his point of view while he's also doing <laughs> something. He's not just, you know, Bendis talking at you for eight pages. So, <laughs> right. I, I really enjoyed this story. I thought it was good. Again, I, I'm not 100% sold on the character, but this story, like, pulled me in and made me want to read the next one, which I think yeah. is... And I think uh, also you can tell Alan Grant cut his teeth uh, on like stories for 2000 AD because like that's all like that's an anthology book. It comes out weekly. You know, he's probably I can't say, but he's probably able to do like two or three eight pagers a week to break into the business. So this eight pager is like it's tight. Like there's nothing wasted. Gets everything across. Like if you read the Robin annual and we're going to read like the next stuff and we're going to read the the mini, you know, they're always like we're going to send you to junior, you know, to juvie, Lonnie. Mm -hmm. He doesn't give a fuck. He can leave, like, it doesn't matter. He can leave anytime he wants. Right. It's one of those situations where, and this is one of my favorite tropes, where the prisoner is not really the prisoner and he just stays in prison because he feels like it. And he's probably staying in prison because he has a very captive audience for his philosophy and a receptive one. Who better to get converted? You know, you can talk to somebody like, so, uh, Oh, it's uh, he wrote Soledad, brother. His last name's Jackson. I can't remember his first name off the top of my head. But he was like a black anarchist in prison, and he talked a lot to other prisoners. They killed him, you know. I mean, because <laughs> that's what they do. But I mean, he talked to a lot to other prisoners about about uh, leftist philosophies and anarchism, and they were they're in a condition to listen because most of them probably got screwed over by the fucking state or society at some point. Right. And most of them are very willing to to engage in ideas that are helpful to them. And engage in ideas that treat them as people. And all of these things are true of uh, most uh, hard left uh, philosophies and especially left wing anarchism. So I think this was great. I think it was really good. It's really interesting that you pointed out that they came out close together because obviously this is a thing to try and get you. you know, you're, you're supposed to read this and be like, oh, can't wait for Shadow of the Bat. One of my favorite moments in this small story is when the the guard shows up and he's like he's like you kids need to get to bed what are you doing and he's really mad he's like you guys are breaking the rules you need to be disciplined and what a better way to really nail down a child coming into their own than asking the question why why <laughs> why who made As the parents, rules i'm sure y'all y'all are like oh, yeah I- yeah 
I know I know I do. I know right. that I have plenty of times. I feel like the guard here sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy. I think who, you're a little better than the guard. Uh, well, I mean, I'm definitely not as strict as this dude is, but I mean, yeah, there's sometimes where I'm <laughs> Your like. Your kid does have to be asleep at three, though, right? <laughs> I that, just in their bedrooms, all I care about. As long as they're in the bedroom. <laughs> They can stay up and do whatever. Just go be in your bedroom. That's the whole point, I think. Uh, Or at least that's what I got out of this is like the rules are there, but who makes the rules and why do we have to follow them? So who are these rules really for? Right, right. You know, who do these rules benefit? It's not benefiting me. And that doesn't mean, again, I think a lot of people misconceptualize, oh, anarchy means you don't think there should be any rules or no authority. That's not it. It just means that if there are rules, there are authorities, they have to justify this to an incredible, incredible degree. They have to really make it, it has to be really made clear, like, we have to do this. And if they can't, then they shouldn't exist. That's how we increase, that's how we increase the scope of human freedom. That's how we've always done it. From, like, the invention of agriculture to, like, the invention of uh, atomic science you know it's just i want to do it and anarchy wants to do it in more of a uh, uh socio-political sociological realm but but that ties into the sciences too i'm not gonna go off on that tangent but like i just think that's natural so there he doesn't next- he's, he's, he's a crypto fashion <laughs> <laughs> i'm just teasing i'm just teasing guys <laughs> well if there's nothing else we'll go ahead and we'll move on to our next uh, couple of stories here this is out of shadow of the bat number 40 and number 41 so these, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, May 16, 1995, Shadow of the Bat number 40 is on the shelves. The first story is called Prophet of Doom, which is part one. Part two is the Anarchist Manifesto, written by Alan Grant, penciled by Jean-Paul Leon, inked by Ray McCarthy, colored by Sherilyn Van Valkenburg, and then lettered by John Costanza. This is Lonnie. He's finally back at home after getting released from juvie. Uh, He's doing kid things, you know, like using some kind of crazy machine to keep the two fused hemispheres of his brain entertained. Uh, (laughs) Turns out that Lonnie is up to his old tricks, trying to find a way to spread the word of anarchy and is mixed up with a self-proclaimed prophet of doom by the name of, oh boy, I'm going to go with Malachiah. There we go. Malachiah. Now Lonnie finds out through Joe Potato P.I., (laughs) <laughs> That's right, baby. Joe Potato P.I. That Malachiah is involved in a plot to harm the city of Gotham. Attempting to face off with Malachiah and his goons at a local phosphate plant, he gets captured. However, Batman and Robin have been wise to Malachiah for some time, with Batman arriving to try to save the day. Fighting Batman, Malachiah hits him with his with the power of his evil eye. So he has like, I don't know, it's like some kind of medallion or something, but basically he's able to incapacitate. The evil eye of Agamotto, am I right? Uh, <sighs> this guy has four appearances, okay? Five, I'm sorry. I'm not going to give it the evil eye of Agamotto. Um, <laughs> he, he knocks oh, back. Okay, I'm fine. Still do what uh, I want. You do what you want over there, Dean. That's fine. Um, so he hits him with his evil eye, knocks him out, and ties all three, Joe Potato, Anarchy, and Batman to a large blimp that is packed with explosives. As Malachi brags to the media of a soon-to-be self-fulfilling prophecy as a preconceived disaster is about to strike Gotham, the airship heads towards its destination with its deadly payload. Luckily, Anarchy is able to get free and cuts Joe and Batman loose. Trying to guide the blimp out to sea, 
Anarchy tries to jump into the water, but his foot gets caught. Robin sees this and throws a projectile, cutting the rope just as the airship explodes, leaving us wondering, maybe Anarchy didn't make it. Is Anarchy still alive? We don't know. Now, throughout the second issue of this two-issue story, we talk about the origin story that you mentioned, where, and that's, it's really moving, in, in my opinion, because what ends up happening is uh, Lonnie's parents go to his room. They're trying to, you know, they're worried about this kid, obviously, and they find this letter. And the letter explains what, I guess, motivated him to become who he was. He begins to learn about the hard times of his, uh, of his pen pal and all the strife that that kid went through. He tries to find a way to address it and basically gets shut down. So then he starts going to the library and reading, which, hey, my goodness, educate yourself. And that's what this kid did. And he started to read. He started to learn. The reason why his friend was suffering was because of decisions made by governments and elites. So uh, that clearly gave him the motivation to become anarchy. Mind you, his parents are sitting there reading this letter and they're realizing that his, their son, I don't know if they realize at the end of that, that his, their son is possibly dead. Cause I don't even know if they know what's going on. In he, he says in the, uh, well, he says in the letter that like, if you're reading this, I'm probably dead. Right. They at right. least know he's gone. He's never coming back. Right. And I, I will go ahead and mention this because this is just kind of like a side story. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about here, but there, it, there, and just in case somebody's like, Oh, they're talking about shadow of the bat 40 and 41. Remember when the ex commissioner, Jim Gordon was possibly <laughs> going to be mayor. <laughs> and what that's a about all soap that. opera. Like his, his wife is now the commissioner. Right. I vaguely remember this, but I wasn't reading the bat stuff every week at this point. You know, there's that going on. It's very, it's, I mean, my goodness, I think we maybe get three or four pages of, of that at the most. Uh, yeah, but the, it's just, he's talking like the sleaziest political guy in all of history. It's wild. Right. And it does not tie into the anarchy story whatsoever. Other than I think uh, the blimp explodes and I, I think Jim Gordon may see that. I don't know. But Yeah, that's what happens. That is. Okay. okay. Uh, like, but yeah, that? <laughs> Big old blimp blowing up. That's right. Don't see that too often. There you go. I mean, that's my that is my summation of what happens in uh, Shadow of the Bat number 40 and 41. I think first off, they're really uh, beautiful issues. Like, I really like the way they look. Um, they look a lot like Earth X because I think the same gentleman did both. And I really like that look. It's a good look for this. Uh, these are very somber tales. Uh, you know, like this is a kid. I think you're almost supposed to see Lonnie as like this, he's grown up now. But man, I mean, this is a. I love Lonnie, but wow, he wow, he gets bamboozled by like lots of stuff. Like, how mm. could you give this much money to this like Zvin Gooley looking motherfucker wannabe? Right? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, he, he, I just wouldn't do that unless he unless he was like really funny at making riffs on film. I think this is where like part of the character, like you know, this like bicameral brain stuff, it's starting to be like, ah, well, okay, you know, it's the DC universe, so we're gonna we're gonna do pull some pseudoscience out. Uh, all in all, I think it's I think it's really fun. I think Joe Potato's amazing. The real the real man of the people, Joe Potato, who's just like ah. I never would have done this if I'd have known all these things. Joe uh, Potato P.I. Was Batman so uh, sidelined in his own book. Batman really doesn't do a lot of these no, things. No, he like, doesn't. out for most of it, you know? Being dumb and useless. I really like uh, getting across the character in the format of the letter to his parents, who uh, who by all accounts seem to be nice people. Although his mom is like kind of stupid because he's like, look, I'm going out to play baseball. Look at this bat. Do you see that bat? That bat. Do you see I, that bat that has right. like an anarchy symbol like painted on it? That's like, you know, I mean, what, to we each don't, his, no, where, each his where own is he going to play baseball at? The Thunderdome? 
You know, I mean, like, I don't know, you know, I mean, but uh, but they're good people. And all in all, it's a great way to separate anarchy from Batman so that he can go do his own thing and have the excuse that they think he's dead for a little bit. I really enjoyed the the uh, the letter framing. I like the way it looked other than uh, some of the silly, uh, the silly pseudoscience and some of the uh, obvious descent into objectivism that's starting to happen. You know, I mean, I don't like that stuff, but I like the issue, the two issues a lot. And it's a really good springboard for Anarchy to do his own thing in the DC universe, slightly separate from Batman. I've got to talk about, just to make a quick mention of Joe Potato and his potato puns or his <laughs> <laughs> potato double entendres, whatever you want to call him. I don't, I don't know what he's the real him. world's greatest detective. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might change my profile pic to that man's face. That just might happen. Um, no, I, I, Gotham City, you should. Uh, right, right. You know, he is the hero. Derry, you mentioned on the cusp of the internet age, and I think we're going to talk about that probably more with the next uh, miniseries because that gets mentioned again. But, you know, this kid is like uber smart. He's fused his hemispheres. He's got like a crazy looking virtual reality machine there, uh, you know, that's kind of helping him out. But he can't get out of his own way. And I think, I, actually, no, I think the internet is mentioned in this because he's supposedly teamed up with Malachi doing something there, spreading the word through the internet somehow. But yeah, again, like selling pamphlets and stuff. Somehow it's made right. $5 million selling yeah. anarchist pamphlets, but he ain't nobody ever made a dime. So <laughs> let me, I, let me tell you that very, very quickly. Where do you get this $5 million or whatever? There, but, there's uh, a, there's a line in one of these issues, I'm not sure which one, where he very quickly says, well, I, I took my uh, publishing and printing money, and then I started selling derivatives. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, like, listen, listen, I'm the anarchist hedge fund, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. I like that, ultimately, this kid's got to team up with Batman to stop a villain that he himself empowered, right? Like, right. he gives the evil eye all his resources and all his chutzpah and all this other nonsense. He, he gives him the platform. And I, I think that's a good story because ultimately Lonnie has to decide, you know, you gave this crazy person all the resources and people might get hurt. What are you going to do about it? You're going to step up and do the right thing. And he does. And I think that's important as to why he gets spun off in his own series and, and why, you know, if Batman was going to die tomorrow and has to stop his 10 top 10 greatest foes, I don't think Lonnie would be on that list. But it, it's it's good, too, because. Because it's just, it's a kid screwing up. Like, one of his weapons is a baseball bat. And, and you know, he's got a private detective that looks like he fell out of a Coen Brothers movie. Like, he's a kid. He doesn't know how the world works. He has no resources other than what he just, you know, can Google at this time. So it's just, it's funny to me to watch a kid who, you know, is one of these, it's almost like a superhero trope. It's like, well, he can do and build whatever the story requires. So this kid has fundamentally unlimited power. What does he do with it? Well, he messes up and he creates a cult that Batman then has to clean up at. So I, I was laughing at that. I thought that was really good. I thought that was a great way of, of doing things and showcasing what this character wants and why he wants it. I also appreciated Joe Potato, but more to the point, I appreciate any story that has a hot air balloon because, again, I, <laughs> that's I, fair, that's I fair. yeah, this this thing must have come out right around the time that Batman the Animated Series, my version, my favorite version of Batman, uh, you know, had those those zeppelins in right, every right, background right. of every scene, at least it, early on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kept picturing like, oh, that's what those are for, for cult leaders to tie people to them and fill them up with explosives. So, you know, that that plugged the plot hole for me. Um, but but yeah, to, to go back to something that Dean said, John Paul Leone, I am a 
huge, huge fan of his. And I believe he passed away not too long ago, but literally his name. Yeah, on yeah, yeah, no, great, great talent gone too soon. But uh, his his name is one of those where, where I see it and I pick it up. It doesn't matter who's writing because the art's always phenomenal. Uh, he is a consummate storyteller. And for most of these two issues, you could read this without the dialogue. I mean, it's just super yeah. easy to follow. So, again, like Tom Lyle, just a super nice surprise to see him on art. Another R.I.P. along with Norm Brayfogle, I guess. Yeah, right. uh, you know, I mean, uh, wow, that's wild. That that like these are the Integral Anarchy penciler guys, too. So. I hope there's not a curse. Like, I hope if they bring this guy back, like, there's not something terrible yeah. because, wow, yeah. it's, it's bad. I love all their works, too. And I think I think what uh, Leon's work really does here is it looks kind of muddy. And uh, that's good because this, these are muddy concepts. These are muddy things that are, you know, Batman and Lonnie's philosophies going against each other. I was also going to say, like, when they discover, like, Robin's going through this stuff and he's like, Huh, the anarchist company or anarcho? I wonder where I've heard that before. <laughs> God damn it, Rob God damn it, Robin. Like what the fuck? Like 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 where have you heard that Smith's anarchy with the chaos familiar? I wonder yeah, why. Now that's, you yeah. caught a clipso with this dude, brother. All right. You have to remember him. The other thing is the baseball bat is a specific Easter egg. Okay. Because one of the tenets of anarchism is ardent anti-fascism. I have put literally fist-fought fascists on the street. And uh, we'll probably have to do so again soon, even though I'm old and don't really want to. Um, <laughs> not because they don't deserve their faces smashed. They absolutely do. But I'm old and I'm tired. And I hope these young people can do it. And I'll just give them some money. But the bad is often something like I've seen from the moment I got involved in anarchism. We had memes even before there were memes. And one of them was just like, oh, I found a cure for fascism. And so you'd be like, what? And somebody would show you a baseball bat. And All you right. also carry a baseball bat with you because, believe it or not, anarchists are not liked by law enforcement. And so, like, and you're fighting guys that law enforcement, as a general rule, sort of like. They're, like, Nazi racist guys. And you know, I don't mean to denigrate too many of our law enforcement officers out there, but sadly, statistics show that we have a problem with this in our law enforcement and military. And I hope you all get that cleaned up real soon. And so you had this, so they will pull you over. And if you, had a, if you have, like a lead pipe or something weird. They're like, what are you doing with this? You know, why do you have an ax? Why do you have, why, why do you have an ax handle? Right. That's hard to explain. If you have a baseball, if you have a baseball bat and like a glove and two balls, I like to play baseball officer. There you <laughs> go. Right. What That's, you it. That's what I'm saying. It, it gives you plausible deniability in a way that another uh, weapon might not. So that's a tip for y'all. If y'all want to smash some fashion. All right. All I, right. But don't because that's against the law. And I don't think you should do any of those things. Okay. <laughs> Legally, I highly don't want you to do it. All right. Well, let's get into our next big four-issue series. Uh, this is Anarchy. Came out in 1997. So it hits shelves March 19th, 1997, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Written, of course, by Alan Grant. Penciled by Norm Brayfogle. Inked by J Joseph Rubenstein. Excuse me. Lettered by John Costanza. And colored by Noel C. Giddings. So here we go. Anarchy lives. That's right. Our first issue opens. This is boy, this story gets crazy. Anarchy opens. It starts or, crazy and just gets crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Our first issue opens with Anarchy mixing it up with the demon and uh, also an enemy of the demon, it looks like, by the name of Blasphemy. He summons 
Etrigan and the Demon to help defeat Blasphemy. However, Anarchy has another goal in mind. Apparently, as we see that he is using a mysterious, I don't even know if it's mysterious. I, I swear he says it's like quartz or something. But he's using a crystal yes. to sap some of Etrigan's power. He's even able to use that crystal to command and hypnotize Blasphemy, this, this spider-looking demon. Uh, and that's kind of where it happens in issue one. In issue two, all of a sudden we're on Apocalypse. Okay, uh, and somehow Anarchy has transported himself and blasphemy there to attempt a revolution against the evil Darkseid. When Darkseid captures him, Anarchy is more interested in Darkseid's motivations. Uh, but of course, there's a short battle between Darkseid and blasphemy. Uh, Anarchy is then transported back to Earth after that is over with. Uh, but... He wasn't just there to talk. No, 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 no. He is able to capture some of Darkseid's essence in this crystal as well. Then we get to our third issue, when Batman finally gets wind of Anarchy's adventures. He looks to confront him. Now, during this, Anarchy captures Batman and it is revealed that Anarchy has been constructing a building. I think it's a building or an add-on to the skyscraper or something. But the, the purpose of it is to unleash the power of this crystal, which, like I said, not only has the madness of Etrigan, the evil of Darkseid, but now has the good from Batman. Anarchy's in-game to de-brainwash, straight from the comic, ladies and gentlemen, de-brainwash the city and make Gotham realize things do not have to be the way that they are. Batman escapes his cuffs and fight, and a fight ensues, resulting in a shelving unit collapsing, burying anar Anarchy and Batman. But at the end of issue three, Anarchy's hand reaches up and slams the generator switch down, activating the crystal, unleashing a wave of mind-altering energy over Gotham. In issue four, we begin to see the effect the machine is having on Gotham. People no longer care to hide their true selves. Some are labeled enemies of the people. Bruce Wayne makes the Penguin, of all people, project coordinator for his, corporate, for his corporation because of his criminal genius that can be used for good. Poison Ivy's helping the environment while Mr. Freeze's brilliance is being used to help take humanity to the stars. But soon, Lonnie is made aware that the effects of this crystal are wearing off, and things are going from bad to worse in Gotham as the city seems to be destroying itself. Lonnie lets out a horrific scream and wakes up. He's been knocked unconscious since issue three and never activated the machine at all. He thanks Batman and escapes. <laughs> and that is the end of the four issue anarchy series. And by golly, I did my best to put that all in a very, very long paragraph. I'm sure I left some very fun stuff out of it. Derry, you go first, buddy. What, what do you want to talk about here? This is a very, very dense miniseries. <laughs> I really... <laughs> Did not know what I was getting into when I started reading this. I, You're I, welcome. I, <laughs> at one point, he starts passing out the parasite tests. And we have to talk about this because right. this is this is like an incredibly specific objectivist thing. I only know this because I watch a lot of Spider-Man videos on the internet and they're constantly like, hey, you know how Stanley created Spider-Man? Well, he had a friend and that friend was crazy. So let's talk about Anne Ryan or whatever the hell her name was. So seeing... Yeah, Ditko, thank you. Uh, and, Stan and, Lee, come on, man. We know Ditko did all the work. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> well, again, I, I, I do hold the personal philosophy that if Ditko had been allowed to write Spider-Man without Stan, he would have degenerated into being the antagonist of the book. But that's You're, you're not wrong. There. I don't disagree. <laughs> I'm giving you shit. But yeah, 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 yeah. You, can't talk about, you really can't talk about Ayn Rand, Objectivism, and comic books without Ditko. Yeah, go on. 
Yeah, I just I thought it was funny that at one point Anarchy has the the, the parasite test and everything is checked in the affirmative, and it's kind of like again, it's he's he's messing with the reader. He's saying like, well, what have you done to help the person next to you recently? Thought so I I thought that was very interesting. Again, I I think this entire book it's like it's like it's anarchy 101 and i don't just mean that as an introduction to the concept i mean like literally like this is something i feel like you could read in a class on the subject um which again very unusual for superheroes but i love that he goes to see dark side because it's one of those things where you can see alan grant in a 1997 coffee shop going well i want him to fight the ultimate evil because i want him to ask why like you guys were saying before like an annoying child and i i just love the way he falls ass backwards into it where it's like oh yeah i, I built a boom tube that's that's yeah, not no big deal yeah, no, I looked at the stars and I did some math and I built a boom tube. Mine's it's honestly mine. the only thing that saves his ass, too, because, like, for some reason, Darkseid is like, oh, I respect that, and then sends his ass back home instead of, you know, burning his face off like he did with Blasphemy. But go ahead. I, I actually really like that because I, uh, if you go back to the original Kirby Fourth World books, Darkseid is not like, I'm going to murder everyone. That that was added later. The the original Darkseid is like, I conquered my world. I am god of that world i am here on earth and i fear none of you because i'm looking for something i'm looking for the anti-life equation so he was much more of a manipulator so i thought that was good my, my favorite scene in all four issues actually was from that that issue where um or they try to free the slaves right. and then at the end they say well you what you don't want is freedom is you want the ability to exert the power on everyone else and they're like oh yeah you're right and then at the end of the issue they they themselves have the whip and i thought that was the best explanation of what Lonnie's saying which is we need to attack the underlying concept of why power is so addictive and how you can manipulate people i thought that was a great example of that and again it's dark side and it's apocalypse it's myth it's what dc does best I really, really appreciated that. All the stuff with Etrigan and Blasphemy and everything, right over my head. I was so confused. <laughs> I had to read that first issue twice. I was like, oh, he's trying to get the concept of deception. I just, he lost me. At first I thought he was like having a stroke or something. I was I was very, very confused by that issue. <laughs> it is strange to go from where we started in this podcast, very street level, you know, yeah. to all of a sudden, holy, oh, there's the demon. And he's fighting the Spider-Man guy. Now, granted... It's Etrigan versus Blasphemy mostly. And then Anarchy kind of shows up, like turns the tables and starts asking questions. And th there's the neat part where he's falling down with the demon. And then he says, uh, what is it? Like he, gone, he says, gone, Etrig demon Etrigan, you know, back, back form of man. Something like right, that. Right, right. Yeah, you he know. basically, yeah, he's, he says this rise, rise series of words. And he changes him back. Is it Jason Blood? Is that his name? Jason, yeah, Jason Blood. Jason mm -hmm. Blood. Changes him back to his uh, his normal form. But anyway. Cool as hell, too. So it's kind of like we went street level all of a sudden. We're going into supernatural territory, which is something that I wasn't expecting at all. Because this feels like this is philosophy of anarchy in some way that this right. character needs to try and get across. How are we going to do that with demons? But then I started to realize you know, there's a lot of discussion here in regards to God, and there's a lot of discussion in regards to, you know, the beliefs of other people. So it, there's a reason for that. It it definitely took me by surprise, but I, by the end of issue one, I realized why we were there, 
which is good. I understand where we were going. And then all of a sudden we're on apocalypse and I'm like, there's a revolution brewing. And I'm like, Oh, I bet anarchy sent the re I bet right, he's right. the reason for this. <laughs> and then sure enough he is, but then he faces off with dark side. And I'm like, Oh man, he's, this guy's clearly outmatched. Again, he starts to talk and he starts to, he's just trying to figure out what makes a person evil. It's cool to see that this guy, even though he believes what he believes, he's trying to understand it. And Dean, you mentioned this. No gods, no masters is, is uh, uh, an incredibly widespread uh, anarchist slogan. That's not to say that every anarchist doesn't believe in God. In fact, there are specific streams of anarchism, Christian anarchism, Jewish anarchism, Islamic anarchism, Zen anarchism, uh, Buddhist anarchism, and they're wrapped around their religious beliefs. But most leftist anarchists don't believe in God. I actually do believe in God, if anybody's curious. But I keep my religious beliefs mostly to myself. They're not necessarily intertwined with my political beliefs. But uh, so no gods, no masters. Is, it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a tenet that you at least hear. And you have to at least, you know, think about and talk about. In the DC universe, where you can just go talk to, like, gods, it's a lot yeah. different. Like, gods are real there. Like, they just, they just are, you know? I mean, you know, same in the Marvel universe. Like, you can't say there's no gods. Here comes Thor. So it, it was really neat to see that personified because, again, this is a real-world philosophy. What does it mean in a fantastical world? Well, it means that Lonnie has to literally go talk to the embodiment of all that is evil, which is Darkseid. And I, I really like that part, too. Mostly, you know, I love Darkseid. I'm a big Darkseid mark. But uh, but Lonnie's asking all these questions, thinking he's so smart. That's the other thing I like about this. Darkseid's mm -hmm. like, you're here because I let you be here. He tries <laughs> to leave. He's like, nah, you'll leave when I want you to leave. And then Darkseid, he also doesn't get it where, like, what Darkseid says, he's like, I'm going to let you go. And he's like, oh, because you're, you know, you know, I can't beat you. He's like, nah. He's like, listen, I could crush you anytime I wanted. But if you're right, I'll just see you again. Because yeah. if Lonnie's right and he's going to make the whole goddamn universe, hickory doodah, you know, everything's fine with everybody. Then like, yeah, Darkseid's going to have something to say about that. Right, right. Or right. he's going to fail and Darkseid wins anyway. Look at what happened to the people you tried to rescue. You know, and Darkseid's going to say, you'll never build something perfect. So I always win anyway. So I find that, you know, that was, that was pretty cool. And I, I think it's a recurring theme too, is that Lonnie, um, in the shadow of the bad issues with uh, Malakia and um, uh, and these issues, he, he makes bad choices. And a lot of young anarchists do. I did. I associated with people who I should not have. I let a lot of things go that I shouldn't have because I was young and excited. And you also make, you know, like you say terrible things, like weird decisions, because it, it, it's a radical philosophy and you want radical change probably faster than it can happen in a lot of ways. So he's doing that. He's engaging in like propaganda by the deed, which was uh, it's like. Uh, Alexander Berkman and a couple and other people around the turn of the from 1800s to 1900s engaged in it. Uh, an anarchist shot McKinley. President McKinley was assassinated by a guy who believed in like propaganda by the deed. The idea being, if we just assassinate all the right powerful people, the masses will rise up and they'll just you know take over everything and. It did not work, and it would never work because it just makes people very scared. But that's what he's doing. He's like, oh, I'll just have to do this. I'm going to beat it into him. I'm going to make it happen. Uh, I never went that far in my bad calls, but, man, Lottie has a lot of dumb calls, like, in regard to his philosophy. And <laughs> early on, the I think, the, at the end of the first issue, Anarchy – he kind of he leaves, I think, at some point and he finds this like monolith. I don't know where he's got this thing hidden at, but it's kind of like this large monument, I guess you'd say, that has like the numbers of people that have died uh, right. for ideals and politics and religion. And he swears to fight the elites in their name. So so well, rich people never fight their own wars. So right. that's the thing. Like, you know, we can argue that World War Two probably had to be fought. 
you know, at some point, like, you know, somebody needed to do it. I don't know that it was fought for the right reasons, but Hitler had to be stopped. But World War One is just a bunch of assholes. It's just a bunch of fucking assholes who just go to kill each other for, you know, because they because they said they would. That's really what it boils down to. Who was going to run Africa? Was it going to be Germany? Was it going to be Britain and France? Who was going to have the most? Who was going to be able to exploit uh, brown people in the third world the best? Who was going to benefit economically from the post-war uh, paradigm? That's what it was about. Like, and most wars are. There are very few genuine humanitarian interventions to the point where, like, you can count them on one hand, like, genuinely. And most of them are denigrated anyway because powerful nations aren't interested in that kind of thing. So he has, like, this list, like, this many people died in World War One, this many people died in, like, Vietnam and the Indo-Chinese Wars, which we usually only talk about Vietnam. But we forget that, like, before that, they fought the French for their independence. And before that, they fought the Japanese during World War Two. So the Indo-Chinese Wars, which would... Uh, that would be the areas of Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, and Laos. Um, these went on for like literally 30 fucking years. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like a lot of people died, like millions and millions. And so he's saying, and what did they die for? You know, you know, honestly, nothing. They had to die so that like the people who didn't live there who were exploiting them had to go. So he's saying, I gotta dedicate all this to this, which I respect. I don't know that brainwashing people, even though you say you're de-brainwashing them, is the way to go, Lonnie. I love you, buddy. I love you, but like you're sounding more and more like a Marxist, to be honest. Let's be honest here. This is getting very state socialism. I'm really, I'm really, really fascinated by Alan Grant. I I ha I have to say, I mentioned this before, but I I, I did a little research on this guy and he's still alive and i guess he's still working to a degree but it's just so funny to me you know it's it's 1997 right 9-11 hasn't happened yet the cold war yeah. is over it's it's the clinton administration and this guy is writing batman and he's in this just this weird little area where he's writing a mainstream comic starring an anarchist talking about bringing down the entire system and that character is the hero and i'm constantly looking yeah. at this thing like a few years later there's actually an entire i don't know who is putting these together i don't know if it's alan grant or someone else anarchy has the most detailed wikipedia pages ever yeah I, they're yeah, insane I was just looking yeah. at that earlier. Yeah. It was rather large. There's a whole, yeah. you know, it, after 9-11, and also, just to put this in perspective, I became an anarchist in, uh, I would say, January of 2001. So a really great time to get into that stuff. Like, people were going to be really receptive to very, very, like, anti-patriotic ideas very quickly, right? So, yeah, like, like the Wikipedia page, like you're saying, Derry, they just went out of their way to disassociate themselves with uh, with the character. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I, I guess my point is, Anarchy is one of these characters where, like, if you love him, you love him, and, and someone out there yeah. does. I, I mean, it's very Maybe. obvious to me. I don't know what side of the political spectrum they fall on, but there there's someone out there <laughs> keeping this flame alive. So I just it's it's just it's so fascinating to me because so many characters were created in 1997, which is probably my favorite year for comics, just because I have such good nostalgia for back then. And so many characters were created by back then that we're not talking about you know 25 years later but this character it's like oh yeah you you actually had a, a plan you had a publishing plan you had a story so reading this stuff is just it, it's so fascinating but i i will admit to being very confused and i think you guys have explained it now as to what he was actually trying to accomplish because i i guess it's the plot of liar liar writ large right like he's trying to make yeah, it yeah it's it's more of that pseudoscience. I think, like, you know, as Alan Grant got more to, like, the neotech thing, which, uh, honestly, 
I think it's a bunch of postmodern psychobabble. It's nothing. It's like this bicameral mind bullshit. The way, you know, I just, I don't, I don't like it and I don't want to denigrate it too badly for the people who are into it, but it doesn't make any sense to me. But I think as he went more into that, his pseudoscience with anarchy got bigger. And yeah, he starts that vision thing and it's like everything becomes basically Orwell's animal farm, you know, like all of it just like <laughs> dissipates, you know, it, it doesn't work. And, you know, uh, and, 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 it, and I think he's right. I don't think you can force the masses to change change that quickly i don't think we can see those kind and these were all you'd be good changes i don't think you can see them quickly and i think to address your point uh Derry, there are a decent amount of people like me who like anarchy who are both right wing and left wing because you can put whichever philosophy you want on him at this point you know because you know he's been through everything but i think there's a larger contingent of people who like him for the reasons we've talked about he's a guy that batman fights that batman can't just be like well i am totally right you know like you know he can't just throw this guy in Arkham Asylum, he can't punch Lonnie so hard that the ideas that Lonnie is telling him become wrong. Right. He, he can't punch him that hard. Yeah, we'll and uh, and I think that's scary. And that's why I think when you have seen him use since then, I think he's in one of like the Arkham Asylum games. Uh, and I think he's been in uh, Arrow. He's just the guy who's into chaos. They don't try and do anything in regard to the philosophies. And that's how they're going to redefine him so they could use him. Because let's be honest, a lot of what they do now is try and make money off merchandising. And an, anar- an anarchy looks good. He'd be a good action figure, look good on posters, et cetera, if you can get him going from some other media. But he can't be either a right wing or a left wing anarchist. Going in a completely different direction, we've talked a lot about Alan Grant. Norm Brayfogle is just as important to this character. He was able to like make an obviously V for Detta inspired character that wasn't exactly looking like him. I like the way he uses uh uh, Lonnie's body language. I think that you can always tell, like if Lonnie's back to you, you can tell exactly what he's thinking. I think his costume looks great. And I think Bray Fogle makes him look powerful. He does a great job with the, uh, with the capes. I think mm. much like he did with Batman's cape, Anarchy's uh, big cape thing becomes a way for you to know how he's feeling. I think that's great. I think Bray Fogle RIP deserves, you know, just as much credit as Alan Grant in many ways. And in my trade paperback, Alan Grant says so. I want to read this to you, Derry. I want you to tell me what you think, because we kind of talked about this already. But this is uh, the very end of this book. And Dean, you can chime in afterwards. Uh, so, But at the very end of this book, one of the more interesting parts of this thing is the dream sequence, which is interesting to watch how Anarchy goes to watching his vision manifest and then basically become a nightmare by the end of it and then wakes up and he's like oh hey i'm out but yeah we see these kids fighting like pretending to fight uh and there is a little bit of uh some narration going on here and i'll read this uh says the information age provides a spotlight the parasites can't squirm away from remember this is 1997 folks identify them negate their evil ostracize them step with me into a better world so Derry, what do you, you think of those words as we finished out this series it's oddly prophetic considering what we would end up using the internet for but it's also like this weird like utopianism you know it's like people take this thing they don't particularly understand they know it's going to be important and they put it on this pedestal and it's like you're sitting here saying well once we can all talk to each other the world over most of our problems are going to go away and it's like yeah it didn't happen guys that that absolutely didn't happen (laughs) 
you know, we just, we got more tools. And since we're complicated apes, we use those tools to build new things, most of which you can't even imagine in 97. I certainly could have, though I was a dumb kid, so I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's what I'm talking about here. Like, these are not dumb stories. Like, they're not your standard fare, but Grant knew what we were getting into like i said this to you guys in our group chat but you know lonnie is the type of character that could only exist before reddit because it, now if, yeah. if a super intelligent kid who could create a holographic projector in his like middle class parents basement was around he would be a reddit moderator like he'd be <laughs> doing like anti-work or crypto or something like he wouldn't like you know he wouldn't be fighting the batman he'd be he'd be leading a cult and telling people and having YouTube videos with billions of views. Like he would, he would have found his place and it wouldn't have been running around in a costume that looks like the Spanish inquisition. So yeah, I, I love that quote. I love this whole thing. Cause again, it's, it's prophetic. Like why does anarchy feel so weird? Cause it was five years early. It was just like, it was too early. Like if he had, if Grant had kept this in his back pocket and tried to publish this after nine 11, this could have come out an image or dark horse, but, DC and Marvel wouldn't have touched it. And right. it could have been a really interesting story like that, but because of the time it came out and he's in Gotham city and he's fighting Batman. And there's something great about that because he gets to tell a real story, not just, it's not just content. There's a real story buried there. And I really appreciated that about it. Well, I think that anarchy really sums it up very well at one point where he's just like in the near future, very soon, and this is something Noam Chomsky says as well, another prominent anarchist, the, the one that probably everybody knows, you know, that you kind of know that name. He's actually, this name gets dropped in Spider-Man a decent amount for some reason. But like, in the very near future, everybody's going to think like this, or there just won't be people to think about it. We're on the verge in the real world of like utter ecological collapse. We're closer to nuclear apocalypse than ever. We are closer to imminent, you know, authoritarian structures like we've never seen uh, since World War II in the in the uh, so-called first world uh, right now. And I think that Lonnie was right in the DC universe, and he's right here. I think that in the DC universe, no, I don't know. I don't think Lonnie he would also be a Reddit moderator. But the cool thing about superhero comics is that somehow the personification of fear. And the personification of, like, speed, I think he said this, they can fight and it will mean something. And here, like Derry said, this is a fight that means something. There's a real story here, and you can't just, it's not just like Daredevil doesn't want to kill this guy, the Punisher does. You know, I mean, there's much more, like, because at the end of the day, though, both Punisher and Daredevil agree, this guy's a piece of shit. You know, he either right. needs to go to prison or get shot. Neither in our country are particularly great, particularly considering our healthcare system. You know, you, <laughs> I don't know what you'd argue for. But Batman and Anarchy disagree. Batman and, or Anarchy and Robin disagree, and no amount of punching can solve the problem, but a certain amount of punching is still fun to see. I think that the four issues are uh, really good. I think they allow you to uh, see a lot of, uh, you know, if it's not outright anarchist philosophy, it's certainly anti-authoritarian ideology, which is, uh, you know, usually good, usually leads people down the right path. And the most important thing, and I tell this about people all, I tell this to people all the time, I don't necessarily want you to agree with, I mean, I do, but like, I'm not necessarily sitting here like, oh, you're going to have, we're going to have three conversations and then you're going to be out reading fucking David Graeber and Andre Skrubachisk and you'll have a red and black flag on your car. I don't, it's not what it is. Maybe when I was, when I was closer to Lonnie's age, like he was, maybe I did think so. But now I just want you to think about things. And I think that's where Lonnie winds up. He wants you to ask questions. He just doesn't want you, you know, whatever, whatever somebody is saying, in particular, people who have authority over you. Don't just take their word for it. 
ask questions. And if you and if you find that the authority is demeaning or you know you know oppressive to you, do your best to overthrow it or at least fuck it over as much as you can. And I think that's what you get out of these four issues. I think that uh, I love see always love seeing the demon, always love seeing dark side. I think it's fun that Batman in almost every one of these anarchy stories just looks like a wuss. It's really peculiar. But like <laughs> even here, he doesn't do a whole lot. And even after like he just gets away, anarchy's like until everybody's free, Batman, and he's got his dog. He's got his dog in his arm. Yeah, yeah. Listen, and the dog's a real uh, real star. I love Yap. What a great guy. I love when the dog like activates the security system. He's like, oh shit, we gotta get out of here. So um, uh, so no, it's it's uh, whether you like the philosophy or not. Whether you like that stuff, this is going to be good for you to read because it is a villain. It is a not a villain or a hero or even an anti-hero in the DC universe. It is true. Anarchy is truly just like the skeletons with David S. Pumpkin, its own thing. You know who the who the real victim is in this entire story, or victims rather, Lonnie's poor parents. Oh, yeah. Right? They're doing their best, you know, they, their best, not the best, but their best. They're trying to connect with their kid. Then they think he's dead and then he's in juvie. And then if you keep reading his ongoing series, it turns out they're not even his parents. But it's like, oh, man, no. Alan, you need to tell, like, hug your mom more or something. Because, <laughs> Jesus, I feel really bad for these two. Like, not even that they don't have a relationship with their kid. That's, that's obvious to me that that wasn't going to happen. But it's like, wow, he just is like, I hate you, mom and dad for always being supportive and not liking my VR system as much as I did. It's just, uh, I, hey, I, I need bad, to ease but... up out of that VR system. Mom, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's like when we were growing up and like you're playing Nintendo and you're like, hey, clean your room. Like, I can't like, you pause your game. You know, it's like, no, I want to pause the game. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't necessarily know that they're treated poorly, but they're not really characters in some yeah, ways. You know, I mean, they're just, they're there so that Lonnie can make someone sad so you can remember that, like, he's he's a human of sorts. But I do feel bad for them. I do think that, uh, I think, like you said, they do their best. It's just, you know, they were, it was never going to work between them, especially, uh, Alan Grant, actually, after this guy didn't get to be Robin, Anarchy was intended to be, like, the Joker's kid, which also, I think, got done away with, so... You know, the parents, I guess, at some point, I don't know that it was originally intended, but once that was the idea, they're they're just a vehicle. And, you know, that's sad because I don't think they're bad parents to what we read at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't think, Annie, I don't think Lonnie's a bad kid either, but, he's, he is, but he is a little shit, let's be honest. <laughs> well, he's a derivative trader, you know, and uh, <laughs> right. it's never... I swear to God, I got to find out how he made that money off anarchist pamphlets because... <laughs> I have a lot, like, and I would sell them, you know, as much as I'm an anti-capitalist, I will take $5 million. Uh, black yeah, market. Right. All right. Well, let's go ahead. We'll, we'll get into plugs. I don't know. I, Dean, you sent us like a list of uh, 15 and I, I just had a chance to look at that yesterday. Any idea what we're going to cover next? Did we have a plan? GI Joe extreme. That's right. That's right. GI Joe <laughs> extreme. Oh boy. Should be a lot of fun to talk about that. Uh, Gacho Extreme, like that's how it is. Extreme, yeah, like they had a cartoon. That's the bumper. That's all I remember from it. I remember watching it, not not enjoying it, but I'm interested to see the comic book version of it, especially with Mike W. Barr writing. Who, in my opinion, only he's a three results comic book writer. He hits a home run, he walks, or he strikes out. (laughs) Yeah, do yourself a favor and uh, watch the 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 theme song. It's it's such a product of its time that it, it's it's amazing it's more amazing than the show it was connected to the theme song is just one of those like wow someone 
made this thing and just they just went home. They didn't even <laughs> stick around for the show. They just they just went home. Cash they went home that on a skateboard check. wearing their techno color shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That song was composed by Poochie from The Simpsons before he left to go home to his home planet. The funniest oh. thing about G.I. Joe Extreme, too, is they're like, this is G.I. Joe for a new generation. It's extreme. Also, here's our Captain America ripoff. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So if that's the plan, that's what we're going to be covering next. This would be a good time to plug a sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Unspoken Issues, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. Well, Dean Compton can tell me about the unspoken decade. I know he can. Tell me about it, Dean. Yeah, and you know, this is a special episode, so I also encourage everyone who wants to know more about Anarchy, because we can't get into it here, uh, look up the Anarchy FAQ. It's incredibly comprehensive. It will tell you all about the different forms of anarchy, from anarcho-feminism, Christian anarchy, anarcho-communism, anarcho-syndicalism, anarchy without adjectives, etc., uh, anarcho-queerism. Um, you know, so there's really something for every for everybody to kind of get into these anti-authoritarian ideas. Look that up. You just have to Google Anarchy FAQ. I think it's also at anarchyfaq.net. I do not have any anarchist files at theunspokendecade.com. There's plenty of things for you to read and listen to there. We're on uh, Facebook, and that's where a lot, and where Simi Fan takes care of a lot of great stuff. Uh, on Twitter, at Unspoken Decade. It is baseball season now, though, so I spend a lot of time watching Royals games. Twitter's not going to be as active as it used to be, unless you want to talk about Royals games, in which case, hit me up. <laughs> All right. Uh, me and Chris Armstrong sat down and talked about the new costume that Daredevil busted out. Uh, we also talked about Extreme Justice number zero. Uh, that may be even in the uh, archive as well, right here on the Source Material Comics feed. And uh, as for myself, uh, my own show, Source Material Comics Podcast, we're doing something for the Superblog team up, uh, image related, uh, I believe. And I'm still trying to come up with. <laughs> what I'm going to do there, but by golly, it may be in the feed. So check that out. I think that is going to be it. We are going to call it a night for Dean Compton for dairy weight. I am Jesse Starcher. Thanks for hanging out with us this evening. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon. Oh,